we wonder what, what will the catalyst be this time around if uh, if, we, if we had a list and you put something sort of dramatic like Abcake being attacked of course it happens the stocks ran on the initial trading day after Abcake and it looks like you know they're sucking wind since but inertia is a pretty tough animal getting people to uh, realize that these are not being valued correctly is it's a fight but to me, it seems like it's just needing a catalyst to get people to realize how disconnected they are. In the very near term, I could make a similar discussion about the fact that oil should be about 12 or $13 higher at a minimum from where it's trading today, just based on inventories. Welcome to the Stock Podcast, the only investing podcast where you get to hear interviews with public company CEOs and CFOs. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the podcast. And in this episode, well, it's one of those special cases where we don't have a CEO or a CFO, but given the recent developments out of the Middle East, so I'm talking about the attacks on the Abcake processing facility in Saudi Arabia, I thought it'd be really interesting to have an episode where we could talk about global oil supply and spare capacity. So in this episode, I'm extremely happy to have Mike Rothman, the president and founder of Cornerstone Analytics. Mike is an oil industry veteran. He's been following this sector for many years. He's an extremely bright guy, and he's also one of the kindest people that I've met on Wall Street, which is demonstrated by the fact that he'd come onto the podcast and talk about, well, the world's most valuable piece of real estate that nobody really has ever heard of, and that's Abcake. But I'd like to emphasize that I'm covering this subject in two episodes. So in this episode, we're going to talk about oil markets with Mike. And then in a following episode, one that I will release, well, hopefully here in the next couple of hours. So same day, you'll get to hear the geopolitical perspectives from one of the foremost specialists on the Middle East. And he's also a reoccurring guest. It's Professor Joshua Landis, the director of the Center for Middle East Studies at the University of Oklahoma. So be sure to listen to episode 39, where I get to talk to Dr. Landis about the geopolitical backdrop. But before we get to the interview, I do ask that you consider something for just a moment. My goal in creating this program was to give everyone the chance to hear interviews with public company management teams. And while this isn't one of those interviews, it's still content that at least I think creates lots of value. So if you're getting anything out of this podcast, I ask that you consider giving back just a little. And there are lots of different ways that you can lend some support. Donations are, well, probably the best way, for me at least, for you to lend some support. All you have to do is just check out the donate page on the website at thestockpodcast.com, or you could subscribe either on the website or on the podcast app that you use. And then finally, you can support the show by spreading the word. Please take a moment to tell somebody you know who might get something out of these types of interviews. Okay, I'll stop there. Let's get to the interview with Mike from Cornerstone Analytics. Oh, well, before we start, if you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Analytics, just go to cornerstoneanalytics.com. And if you're interested in developing a professional relationship with Mike and his team, send an email to info at cornerstoneanalytics.com. All right, let's get to the interview. Mike, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about your background and your business before we get into oil market discussion? Sure, and thank you. Uh, I've been following the global energy markets for the last 35 years. My career started out at Merrill Lynch. 
I spent a little over 20 years. I was the co-head of that uh, global energy team and the, the chief market strategist. And I was at a firm called ISI for about four and a half years. And I was the head of energy research. I built that energy platform and I launched my own firm, Cornerstone Analytics. And essentially I specialize in macro energy research. I've been attending the OPEC meetings for the last 33 years. And essentially our clients are dominantly institutional money managers. Thank you for the background, Mike. And could you just tell our listeners, I mean, everybody is aware of what happened in Saudi Arabia just two weeks ago. Could you provide a little bit more color as to how you're thinking about what transpired in, in Saudi Arabia? So you have to understand that Abcake is unique. It's the largest oil processing center in the world. And for an average person, they don't really know what that is or what it means. But when oil comes out of the ground, and in the case of Saudi Arabia, before they're either refining it or getting it ready to be exported to a refinery, that oil has to be processed and stabilized. And without that a facility, essentially the, the oil is of uh, no use to anybody. So when we talk about oil market choke points, and for decades people have heard about the Straits, uh, the Straits of Hormuz, or they've heard about the Straits of Malacca, the Bosporus Straits, etc. No one really spent time thinking about the fact that uh, Abcake, as this uh, enormous processing facility, as being one of those potential uh, choke points, and the antagonism between Saudi Arabia and not just Iran, but another a number of other countries, whether it's talking about Qatar, uh, Bahrain, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, uh, Yemen, Sudan. What about this potential backlash of Saudi oil facilities becoming targeted? Because that is the lifeblood of their economy. And over the last year, there's been a number of attacks on other facilities. The East-West Pipeline, which is uh, the single largest conduit uh, to move oil uh, literally from the east to the west of the country out to, for instance, Yambu, exported on the Red Sea, was attacked this past summer. And it wasn't just a, a simple pipeline attack. It was an attack on the two pumping stations, which ended up making the line inoperable. The Shaiba oil field was attacked earlier this year. There's been attack on gas processing centers, etc. And... The Saudis fortified the security measures at Abcake after an attempted truck bomb attack in 2006. And again, for the average person, they wouldn't have really focused on this, but a truck with explosives uh, drove through a perimeter fence and it did detonate, except that the truck was traveling so fast that the target of the bomb, which was this really critical manifold, didn't get taken out because the truck passed the manifold before it exploded. Had that happened, we would have had this conversation 13 years ago. But they've put a number of different defenses there, and that includes these Patriot missiles uh, to uh, deal with the potential attacks on Abcake because it is such a critical facility. So on September 14th, in this part of the world, we all woke up to reports about Abcake being offline and all the uh, oil that was being processed there uh, was out of the market, at least for 
uh, the immediate future, about six and a half million barrels a day, and that the uh, drones that were uh, used to just levy this destruction uh, took out not just random tanks, but they took out the uh, gas uh, crude separating tanks, these onion-shaped um, facilities that are referred to as spheroids, but they, they look like onions. And they didn't just randomly hit a tank. They surgically hit both trains um, in a part of the facility, which appears to, at a minimum, shut down about 50% of Avcake's in-place capacity, which is somewhere around 7.5 million barrels a day. And for the oil markets, uh, that volume of crude, which is about 6% uh, of the global supply, uh, rivaled the two other huge losses we've seen over the last uh, 40 years. The, the 1979 Iranian oil worker strike, which took out uh, in November 79 about 4.5 million barrels a day. It's around, uh, I think, about 7% of world oil supply at the time. And then when Iraq invaded Kuwait, we lost 4.2 million barrels a day of exports overnight, which is about 6.5% of world supply. Um, the reaction, interestingly enough, in all three cases is similar at the beginning. It was pretty muted. We, we had a relatively mild reaction early on in the case of the 79 Iranian oil worker strike and then Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. Eventually, oil prices doubled. Um, but for, again, the average person who's thinking about this, there have been a number of press reports uh, suggesting that operations would be normalized within a couple of weeks. The Saudis have uh, done everything to try to convince people that they'll be able to brush this off and uh, keep flows normal. In fact, the reports that have been out even this week suggested by next week they'll have uh, operations normalized. And, of course, the problem is that this seems much more uh, fiction than not. The facilities that were damaged uh, – talking with people in the industry are likely to require months to complete repairs as opposed to weeks. And um, in, in many regards, you can understand why uh, many people are interested in trying to see this play down because all models of the world economy are built on this two variable uh, model, um, interest rates and oil prices. And they both have negative coefficients, meaning a higher oil price is a negative for the world economy. So as we talk about this over the course of the podcast and any other specific questions, the sense that we're getting here is that the Saudi Arabia is, is for the nearer term, likely to bleed out its own inventories to try to keep exports somewhere near normal. They're going to cut their own refinery runs. They, they operate it refineries domestically, they, they run about 2.9 million barrels a day of crude through those refineries. They've already indicated they're going to cut those run rates by almost a million a day. That seems to be aimed at freeing up crude so they can meet customer obligations. And uh, there's been a couple indications that they've gone to other countries and asked for crude. In fact, last week, they approached Iraq and asked for oil, roughly 20 million barrels. It was denied 
very quickly, except again, indications that we consider reliable were very clear that they did in fact ask for that oil. There's a, another report on the wire service that came out uh, this afternoon. They were doing this uh, podcast that uh, the Aramco trading arm is seeking crude from other countries. And this actually makes much more sense because the uh, loss of uh, capacity for now at Abcake means that their ability to produce oil at the rate they were prior to the attacks is simply not there. And most people don't realize that selling oil out of inventory is actually counted as production uh, for for OPEC back in 1983, when the cartel first had quotas, they were very clear that if you sell oil out of storage, uh, that gets counted as your production. And we saw this last November. Uh, Saudi production was up at 11.1 million a day, but actual wellhead flows were about 10.6. They had sold about uh, 15 to 17 million barrels of oil out of inventory that month, so it gets picked up. Over the course of 30 days, there's a half a million barrels a day of production. And the average person doesn't really know that. It's, it's not a, not a well-discussed uh, situation. But the, the fact is there is a, a evident loss of uh, production capacity. And uh, because the sense we're getting is that this is really something which is going to take months to repair, there are a lot of unanswered questions about what does this really do to the, the oil balance. We were already scheduled to see inventories globally draw pretty heavily in the fourth quarter. Oil demand has a very seasonal pattern. The peak in the course of the year is in the fourth period. The bottom in demand tends to be the first quarter. Then you can look over 10 years or seven years, but it's a, it's a very pronounced pattern. So we're going into the fourth quarter of the year when oil demand uh, typically sees a very sharp and seasonal rise. It's, uh, it was by almost any calculation we ran going to produce a significant draw on global oil inventories to begin with. Now we're talking about, uh, some loss of Saudi capacity. So we're, we're estimating, which would add to the potential drawdown. And, uh, if I was the 30th or 40th analyst, talking about the fact that this was going to happen wouldn't be all that exciting, except that most people are really going the other route, thinking that we're likely oversupplied and that the Saudi flows are going to normalize and everything's going to be fine. I'm not sure if that's because they want that to be the case so that we don't have uh, pressure develop on the world economy, but the, the data seems uh, pretty compelling that we're going to see oil supply squeeze. And all analysis of supply and demand. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, just visit stockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes, and depending on the membership that you purchase, you can even have access to the transcripts. So just go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. Also, if you really enjoyed the music, you should check out Danheim. That's D-A-N-H-E-I-M. Mike at Danheim gave me permission to use the music for the podcast, and so a huge thanks to Danheim. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.